in a book called The Other Wes Moore. The author, named Wes Moore, recounts uh, his experience in life and compares it to the experience in life of another man named Wes Moore. Wes Moore, the author of the book, uh, talks about how he, he grew up in a home with dads who, 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 his dad passed away at three years old, and he grew up in a home with, with men who influenced him. He became a Rhodes Scholar, went to John Hopkins University. Uh, he served under Condoleezza Rice uh, when she was Secretary of State. He's a veteran of Afghanistan and the armed forces, and that's his life. The other Westmore that he talks about in the book is a convicted felon. He's serving a life sentence for murdering a police officer in Baltimore, Maryland. What's interesting is, in the book, when he compares their lives, he doesn't compare the differences so much as the similarities. Both black men that could easily have been launched into a culture without any, any anchor or any help along the way, both Wes Moores grew up without a father. His, as I mentioned, died when he was three years old. But men that he knew, men in the family, men along the way stepped in and and, and helped out and shepherded him into manhood. And let me pause here right now and say, we pray for you also, men, because sometimes God calls you into that role to step in and to be part of that. And I can say from personal experience, having been raised in a single-parent family by my mother, God put men in my life at church, uh, in, in sports, and other places, put men in my life at each stage to help me grow and to help me mature into manhood. So the first Westmore had that experience also when his dad died at three years old. The second Westmore didn't have that experience. Uh, he barely knew his dad, but he only met his dad, who was an alcoholic and degenerate. He met his dad three times in his whole life. And the third time the second Westmore met his dad, his dad didn't even recognize him. You ask him who he was. So the first Westmore writes the book to compare the similarities, but to show the outcome and differences because of the influence of men who stepped in when his dad died. Fathers matter. In the bigger picture, men of character matter. But fathering is a unique role that every human being needs at different stages in life, and particularly godly fathering, men who understand the Word of God and can apply that to our lives. This morning we're going to zero in on one attribute of fathering that is so very important, and that's the character of the man. Now this is Father's Day, and I'm talking mainly to dads, and, and an extension of that, I'm talking to all of our men, but, but you're going to see easily everybody, this applies to all of us. What we're talking about this morning is going to apply to all of us, because in, in God's eyes, and God's perspective, character matters most. Your decisions, uh, your commitments, your circumstances, as we'll see, issue out of your character. Who you are is what matters. And in God's perspective, dads that make a difference are men of character. And they apply godly character in their relationships with their children. And those children, God has called them to come alongside and to shepherd and to minister to. We're going to look at one of the most famous dads in biblical history who we almost never talk about except at Christmas. Joseph. 
You may have never even thought about Joseph any other time except Christmas. In fact, I think a lot of Christians probably think he's just added to the Bible every Christmas. We, just, we don't know anything about him, and then suddenly there he is. But we're going to talk about Joseph because Joseph was a man of character. It was, he was a young man, roughly about 19 years old, when God selected him to be the earthly uh, counterpart to the heavenly father when the Son of God is incarnate on earth. Think about that for a minute. 19 years old. God selected him, and, one of the, and the reason we see, as we'll know in a moment, that God picked him was his character, was who he was, because the actions he would take would issue out of his character. We're going to read passages of Scripture, more than one, that pertain to Joseph. So straighten up, wake up, look up, and pay attention here, uh, as we're going to look first at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. If you have your Bible, look there with me, or you can read along on the screen in front of you. Matthew 1 and verse 18. The Bible says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now let me pause right there. If you're not familiar with first century Jewish dictates and tradition, uh, they were betrothed, that is, engaged, which in their culture was as good as married. Verse 20, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what she has, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what the what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded, and he married her. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13 of Matthew. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Still in chapter 2, move down to verse 19. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he, heard, when he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he, would, that he would be called a Nazarene. That is, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now we're going to jump out of Matthew for just one verse in Luke. Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. You can make a note of it. The Bible says, They were all speaking well of him. What's taken place is Jesus has arrived in his hometown and not been well received. Didn't listen, everybody listened to him exactly, but this is their, their take on Jesus. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph is the man that God chose to be the earthly counterpart of the heavenly father, to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're 
very remiss not to park on Joseph, not to learn from Joseph occasionally what what the Bible preserves there for us about him, uh, and apply that to dads and to men and to parenting and even just to living for Christ now and then. And what we see right away is, again, it's Joseph's character that matters. The first thing we learn about Joseph is that he was a righteous man. That means as a Jewish man, he had done his best to live as God desired. Uh, It didn't mean he was perfect. It didn't mean uh, that he stood out among everybody else according to Jewish law. It just meant that he desired a relationship with God and did his best to do as God desired. And so far, he had favor with God and God was showing him grace. He was a righteous man. It's a statement about his character. And put this again in the back of your mind, or always remember, character matters to God. Character makes a difference because it's our character that will determine how we behave. It's what we think and, and how we live and who we are on the inside. And uh, what we put into ourselves will always issue out in behavior. The Bible teaches that over and over. That's your character, and your character matters. And it's your character that God seeks to shape. So I want to go back to the story for just a minute, and we're going to learn some specifics from Joseph about our character and and why that matters. Uh, And more to the point, how our character shows up. If you're wondering about your character and if God is pleased with your character, pay attention to this because we're going to focus on how your character shows up in your behavior, in your decisions, in the circumstances, in your family, whatever you're doing. How is it that your character is revealed? How is it exposed? How does your character show up? And along with that, dads, what do your your kids see about your character? So let's look at this. First of all, your character shows in your commitments. Your character shows in your commitments. Now, here's why. So your your character, the the inside you, the, the person on the inside, determines your commitments. Your character determines your commitments. A good example is this right here on Sunday morning. Let's say, for example, uh, you showed up here for Father's Day because you feel a certain obligation to show up on Father's Day. Maybe your dad calls you the day before Father's Day and says, will you be with me in church on Father's Day? Maybe you haven't been in church the whole rest of the year except maybe Mother's Day, Easter, maybe Christmas, but you're here today, you showed up on Father's Day or you tuned in online because it's Father's Day. And when this service is over, the next time we will see you, might very well be Mother's Day or Father's Day. Now, what that says is you don't really have a commitment to church. And the reason you don't have a commitment to church is because you don't have a commitment to Christ. That's a statement about your character, not your church attendance. Your commitment reflects your character. The flip side of that is you're in here because you're always here on Sunday. You're excited it's Father's Day, but you come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday mornings and fellowship with believers and study God's Word. That's a statement about your character reflected in your commitment. Because your character drives your commitments. And look at this, your commitment determines your choices. Right? Uh, Another good example, just go home and look at your bank account. Your bank account will tell you your commitments because your commitments produce choices that are reflected in your money. It's very simple, really, and it's always true of everybody all the time. 
So your, your character shows in your commitments. And we, we've learned already that Joseph was a man, a righteous man, a man of character, of God's character, striving to be a man of God and to do what God wanted him to do. So from that, we also learn there that his commitments show up. And, and here's a couple of his commitments, two ways his commitments show up, two commitments that he has. First of all, God over gain. God over gain. Like every man in the ancient world, Joseph had a job. In fact, his job, uh, the, the reason he had a job was to be a provider for his family. So like men in the 21st century, men in the 1st century sought to excel at their jobs. They sought to make money and sometimes even make more, more, uh, even more money. And for a Jewish man in Palestine, that was very difficult to do anything different because the Roman soldiers who occupied Palestine made it difficult for Jewish men to get ahead unless they sold out to Rome and became traitors to the Jews. That's what tax collectors did, and that's why they became very wealthy. But a man like Joseph worked his job that God had given him, and out of his character, he was committed to God beyond and over and above gain. He wasn't about just making a name for himself or getting stuff or buying more stuff. He was about serving God. He was a righteous man. What was Joseph's occupation? They said quietly, Carpenter, here's my question. Did it say in any of the texts we just read that Joseph was a carpenter? I'll wait for it. No. How do you know Joseph was a carpenter? Because later, Jesus is identified as the son of a carpenter. Men, how many times do you meet somebody new and, and your first question is, so what do you do? Because we identify ourselves by what we do. That's not a new thing. Men especially are identified, our identity is wrapped up often in what we do. And, and, and implicitly, but sometimes outright in our culture, we think to value what we do means we gain more stuff. And sometimes to gain more stuff, if that becomes our commitment, to gain more stuff, you know what happens? We have to have that commitment over other commitments, including our family. And our family ultimately suffers. Because we don't put God before gain, we put gain before God and family. Joseph is an example of the opposite. He had already determined he would be righteous with God. And, and this is why he can do what God wants him to do, listen, without worrying about his provision, without worrying about his lifestyle, without worrying about how he would get what he needed to get. It's also the reason that God gave him a job that he could take to Egypt he could do it in Palestine, he could do it in Bethlehem, he could do it in Egypt, he could do it in Nazareth. Carpenters were desperately needed all over the ancient world. They built furniture, they built houses, they built yokes for cattle and oxen. It was a thriving way to live and you could do it anywhere in the ancient world. Isn't God good? So the first commitment we see in, in Joseph's life is that he put God over gain. He would do what God wanted him to do and let God take care of the rest. Second, he put love over law. Second commitment, love over law. In Jewish law, he had two options when he found out that Mary was pregnant. Have her stoned to death or divorce her. Either one was a humiliation for Mary, 
So he determined he would divorce her, that is, nullify the betrothal and the marriage, but do it secretly. Do it quietly. Do his best not to extend the humiliation outside of just their families, if at all possible. People would find out soon enough that she was pregnant and she would marry, and she and Joseph were not getting married, but he wasn't going to be the instigator of that. The law would have let him, if he was a legalist, if he was all about outward appearances, the law would have let him drag her into the streets, call on the men to all stone her to death. But being a righteous man, he'd learned something along the way from God. And I believe also from his dad, by the way. He'd learned that relationships matter more than religion. That people matter more. And maybe, yes, he loved Mary. We're not told he loved Mary deeply or was in love with Mary. But yes, he loved Mary. So he showed her compassion. He showed her kindness. He was willing to quietly do what was required without harming her any more than necessary. His commitments reflect his character, and his commitments produced his choices. So here's my question, dads. If your kids are watching your life, at whatever age or stage they are in life, they're watching your life, what do your commitments say about your character? If I called up your children today, and I said, hey, tell me about what your dad chooses to do, Week in and week out, day in and day out. What are his commitments? Would their responses illustrate your commitment to Christ and to them? Or would your responses, would their responses illustrate your commitment to gain everything you can, to show people how great you are? Would it expose your attitude toward them. And if you're sitting in here and you're thinking this and God is showing this to you, maybe it's time to change your commitments a little bit. Because those commitments produce choices. Now, along with that, Joseph's life shows us something else about character. Your character shows in a time of crisis. Your character shows in a time of crisis and another commitment will show up as well. Faith over fear. Now here's what I mean. If Joseph was in, was in anything, he was in a time of crisis. At the very least, he doesn't get any sleep. He gets woken up every time. Every time he's woke up, go, woke up, wake up, go, wake up, go. Every time we meet him, he's getting woken up, he's got to go. He's having dreams. The angel's speaking to him in his dreams. He's a very active young man. But his circumstance is full of uncertainty at this point. And the, and the angel says, do not be afraid, which implies he might be afraid. And it's a fearful circumstance. What is he supposed to do? You know, men, it's okay occasionally to admit you're afraid. It's what you do about it that matters. It's always what you do next that matters. And if we take that fear and we say, God, I trust you for this uncertainty, for this circumstance. I, look, I don't know about you, I look at our world around us right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. It concerns me deeply for my grandchildren growing up, what the world's going to be like. It concerns all of us for our children, our grandchildren, nieces and nephews. 
For the children that come to First Baptist Church that have been, uh, uh, we are stewards of their lives. What's the, what's the world going to be like if Jesus doesn't return before then? A lot of uncertainty. So, so here's the question. When you see that uncertainty and you feel that fear, do you step up and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. And your trust is demonstrated very simply, as with Joseph, in doing what God calls you to do. Obeying the word of God, being faithful to Christ, being faithful to your commitment to Christ, doing what God calls you to do. In that time of uncertainty, that time of, uh, of sometimes fear, trusting him. Trusting him. A crisis always shows your real character. Always. You can write that down, take it to the bank. You might be sailing. Life is a dream. This season's the best ever. Do I know your character in those circumstances? Maybe, maybe not. But let a crisis hit, uncertainty unfold, fear boil up in your heart. Yeah, I'll know your character then. It'll show. So we are called of God, all of us, to to take that fear and say, God, I trust you. I will not be afraid because I follow Christ. And I will follow Christ into the future. And I will follow Christ for my children. Wherever Wherever God puts us, I will be there. I will not be afraid. I will stand up for my kids. Uh... Last April, April 2022, Jacob Kingsley got tickets to a Cincinnati Reds game. Called his, got his wife said, hey, honey, we're going to the game. We're going to take our little baby, that little, little baby boy. And she looked at the tickets and she said, now, wait a minute. These are in the foul ball zone. I'm not real comfortable with that. Oh, we'll be fine. We're going to be great. And she said to him, she said to him, if you seat us in the foul ball zone, it's your job to protect us. He said, okay. So there they are. They're sitting there. And in the moment that he was feeding the baby who's strapped to him, he's got the baby, feeding the baby, his wife's sitting right here. Sure enough, there it comes, a foul ball flying directly toward him. And I want to challenge you, go look at this today. Talk about a cool-headed guy, 26 years old, reaches up right-handed, grabs that thing. And he told the press later, as the video went viral, they got in touch with him, he told the press later. He said, well, here's the thing about being a dad. He's 26 years old, he's got one baby, and he's giving us dad advice. But he said, and he's right, here's the thing about being a dad, expect the unexpected, and when it's time to step up, you got to step up. Good for him. He told his wife he would, and he did. Stepped up. The same is true of us when we say faith over fear. I will not be afraid because I trust God. The circumstances might be uncertain. Expect the unexpected. But I will trust God in whatever circumstances I find myself. Wherever Christ leads me. Third, your character is shown in your choices. We've already talked about that a little bit. But let's park there just a minute, man. Your character is shown in your choices, and it is for all of us. Remember, your character produces your commitments, and those commitments produce those choices. So first question is, what am I committed to? Then what choices are coming out of my commitments? For Joseph, there were a few choices that all of us 
should make along the way. Uh, first was the choice to make a stand. When God told him what to do, that's what he did. He made a stand for his family, a very inconvenient stand for his family, even a life-threatening stand for his family. Herod was out to kill his son, Joseph's son. They scooped him up and took him to Egypt. Now, what we know from history is there was a Jewish community in Egypt. And no doubt, again, he could plug in as a carpenter there, live as long as he needed to. And then Herod died a couple years later, and God calls him to go back to Israel. Then he arrives in Israel, and when Herod died, Herod's empire as a Jewish king was divided among his three sons called Tetrarchs, and one of those was Archelaus, a very dangerous man who no doubt would also seek them out and seek to kill Jesus and probably Mary and Joseph as well. He was warned again in a dream by an angel, so this time he went to Nazareth. He makes a stand for his family. And the best thing about the story of Joseph is he never quits making a stand for his family. He doesn't give up. He doesn't walk away. We live in a culture today, and we have for a long time, in which men often will just walk away when it gets tough. That's not biblical. That's your family. God gave you that family. Your job is to make a stand. Second, Joseph makes a home. Wherever he goes, he establishes a home. And, and he does it till God tells him otherwise. He makes a home. God has designed and wired men to work and designed and wired men to take care of their family, to make a home. doesn't mean the ladies can't do it, but it means it's hardwired into men to do it. Again, I was raised in a single-parent home by my mom. She made a home for us. I've always been grateful to God for her. But men, there's a part of you that God designed and wired to make a stand for your family and to make a home for your family. Rather than pursue gain and, and, and selfish pursuits, focus on building that home for your family. Make choices to raise your kids in a godly home. To raise your children, well, they'll look back on it and, and, and remember what dad did for them. What home was like. And that's a good way to think about it, isn't it, dads? 10, 20 years down the road, what kind of stories will your kids tell about home, about you, about dad jokes? What kind of stories will they tell? Let that sink in for just a minute. And then last, make a name. Did you know your reputation clings to your kids? Did you know that? And it may not be a public reputation that clings to them. It may very well be who you are that, that has so impacted and influenced them that like the second West Moor, you just can't get away from it. But you are influencing the character and the reputation of your kids. So what is your name? What does your name mean to them? And what does your name mean to society and to culture? Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. When Jesus shows up at his hometown... What do they do right away? They associate him with Joseph. Now, isn't this Joseph's son? He's been away a while, but I'm, I, I, but I'm pretty sure this is Joseph's son. That, that's even more impactful when you remember, and the Gospels bear this out, that the narrative that followed Jesus all his life, that his mother had an illicit relationship, and that's 
how she got pregnant. And then Joseph went ahead and married her anyway, putting them both outside of the Jewish law. That narrative followed Jesus all of his life. John chapter 8, go back and read it. But the hometown folks go, hmm, isn't this the son of Joseph? See, there can be a different narrative. Because there's the narrative that Joseph stepped up. I mean, they still think Mary got pregnant by an illicit relationship, but, but Joseph stepped up. Isn't this the firstborn of the family of Joseph and Mary, the firstborn that, that Joseph raised and impacted and, and carries his name and his reputation? Isn't that who Jesus is? Yes, it is. What kind of name, what kind of reputation are you making for your household, for your kids? And what's going to cling to them that came from you for the rest of their lives? It's a wonderful thing about God's grace, and I want to say this to you. Make sure you remember this. If you had one of those dads whose reputation clings to you, and it's not so good a reputation or whose behavior still haunts you, and it wasn't very good behavior, God's grace and God's power is greater than that. Give it to him. Give it to him. Uh, people in costumes are very popular in New York City, especially in Times Square. And people like to get their pictures made with people in costumes. Funny thing about it is, those people in costumes are not always of the best character. Not long ago, Spider-Man was arrested for punching a cop. Super Mario arrested for assaulting a woman while she was trying to get a selfie with him. A couple of Muppets not doing too well either. One was arrested for screaming racial slurs into the crowd, dressed as the cookie monster. Maybe that's fitting, I don't know. So a psychologist not long ago wrote about this. Why is it that a person who puts on a costume suddenly behaves badly? And the psychologist said, because behind the mask we think we're anonymous. But eventually our true character will show. True of all of us, but dads, listen. You may think you look good on the outside, everything's going great. You keep a good front, wearing a, a mask that shows just how good you are, but people know your character. And if anybody knows your character, it's your kids. It's your family. It's your spouse. It's the people closest to you. They know who you really are. But more to the point, your Heavenly Father knows who you are. What burdens you? Give it to him. What worries you? Give it to him. What you're afraid of? Give it to him. What you're going through with your kids, your spouse, your job, your community? Give it to him. He's your heavenly father. What you has clings to you from that dad of the past that might be, not be so good? Give it to your heavenly father. And above all else, if you're in this room or at home, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, start over today. Your God loves you. Your God loves 
you. He knows you better than you can imagine. You're not hiding anything from him, and yet he still loves you. And he's ready, ready to forgive you of your sins, if you'll just ask. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord on this Father's Day. Dads especially, I want to encourage you to listen to the Lord, what he's speaking to in your heart. Maybe there's a commitment you need to make. Maybe you need to trust Christ as your Savior for the very first time. Whatever it is God is leading you to do today, step out. It's time. Trust Christ. It's time. Give him those burdens and problems. Give him your family. It's time. Heavenly Father, we sit in this place today, we worship Jesus, we know you, and yet, God, we are so burdened and so uncertain sometimes about the future. And Father, I pray for each of us here, and especially our dads here and at home. God, how I pray we would come to the cross again today. For that one who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, may today be the day to give their life to Jesus Christ. Finally, in confessing of their sins, finally being forgiven. And for that one, God, who's struggling with their commitments, who's struggling uh, with their personal values, struggling with the past or, uh, or, or the reputation of their own dad or the behavior of their own dad, who's struggling with money, with finances, with family, with decisions. God, I pray they would bring all of that to you. For that one who needs to make a fresh decision today, for that one who, who needs to uh, follow through and join fellowship with First Baptist Church, let this be the day we step out in faith. For that one who is afraid, God, I pray you'd replace that with fear. Excuse me, with faith today, God, that we would trust you more deeply, more and more. God, we can't control the circumstances, but we can make the right decisions to come and to follow Christ. I pray we would do that today. Father, bless this time of response here and at home. May all that we do honor Christ, and it's in his name we pray.